Hi, welcome. Thank you for tuning to Life Plus Up with your host Kevin Yang. For all the listeners, Life Plus Up is a podcast dedicated in making your life better by achieving success in three core components of life: personal, financial, and career. In each episode, we'll be bringing some of the most positive and inspiring news, followed by introducing programs to help out with personal finance. We'll coach you some professional skills to help you advance in your career, and be your resources for a better lifestyle and health. You can find the newest episode every Wednesday by follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Google, or much more. At the end of each episode, I will answer some of the questions from our listeners. So if you have a question, please email me or DM me on Instagram, or just by clicking on the voice link listed in the description. Remember, if you find this podcast informative and helpful, please share with someone that you think this can help. So now, let's have a great show. It's the eighth week since you have been asked to work from home. At first, you surrounded yourself with numerous tasks from your boss and work, just to keep the sense of normalcy. As time went by, you began to explore various activities, hobbies, and things that you truly enjoy to maximize the extra hours of your day. As you are finding joy in exploring your passions and essence of doing what you love, you begin to question the career that you had chosen—a career that brought no joy, challenges, or any sense of achievement that you have been doing all these time. You begin to ask yourself, "When this pandemic is over, do I have to go back to the old self? Do I even want to?" How do I start in a career that I actually like? What should I do? Welcome to episode thirty-two. Happiness is a choice. An exclusive interview with Katinka Tapakaru, a world-renowned art gallerist. First, I want to thank all of you for tuning to Light Plus Up, and wish all of you and your family had a fantastic Mother's Day. While this year sure has been different, but it is a hard time like these that will remind us the importance of family, love, and support to one another. While we each celebrate Mother's Day differently, let us not forget about millions of families out there that are currently going through a hard time due to this pandemic. So, if you want to jump in and help those family out by supporting them with food, groceries, or some essentials for livelihood. Please visit familytofamily.org to donate, and remember, you can also support by sharing this site with your circles and social media. Collectively, we can all make a difference. Now, if you live in NYC and want to help our neighbors in need, please visit foodbanknyc.org and lend them a helping hand, as a lot of your neighbors are going through a hard time as well. And for all their sites. They're all listed in the show notes. Now, I want to share some exciting news. 
As many of the listeners might already know, that we have recently launched our very own online publication, the Life Business Insider. Recently, we have added more writers to our team, and we're happy to announce that we have launched a new sessions for writers and bloggers, arts and poetry, and a section for food and travel. On our publication, aside from the show note to each of our episode, now you can enjoy secret homemade recipes. Some of the best poems from some of the best minds, and writing tips from professional writers. So, the link is also in our show note as well too. And if you are interested in becoming one of our writer, just email me or DM me for further information. Now, as we have a very special guest that will be joining our podcast in the main segment, I want to kick off the episode with a positive and inspiring news first. Today, our news is brought to you by CNN, the Good Stuff, written by Lauren M. Johnson. The headline is: A FedEx worker surprised a little girl to make her quarantine birthday extra special. A sweet surprise from a FedEx worker made a little girl's birthday and started a friendship. FedEx worker Jordan Price didn't know it was Emma. Padenoster's sixth birthday until he came to the family's door in Fishers, Indiana, on April 30th. Liz told CNN her daughter always answered the door and was expecting to meet with a gift, but was disappointed it was a package for her father. I said, "Sorry, we may be seeing a lot of you today. It's a birthday," Padenoster said. Price simply acknowledged the fact with a happy birthday. Before he went back to his car and drove away. However, less than an hour later, according to the Paternosters, he returned with the cupcakes from Dairy Queen for the birthday girl. I felt kind of bamboozled. We had never met him before this day, Paternoster said. Her mother said all Emma wanted to do was show them to her sister and eat them. We told him he didn't have to do that, and he said she should be at her friends. And her teacher today at school. I just want to do something, a little more special. Because if we won in this situation, she will be with her friends. Petronoster said they are huggers, and it was really hard to social distance. All I want to do was to hug him. Afterward, Petronoster said she didn't know whether she had shown enough appreciation. During Emma's birthday parade, she tried to see whether any FedEx driver was the man who dropped off the. Cupcakes, but they weren't. Petronoster then tweeted the to FedEx to let the company know about his kindness and see whether she could find him. She said she didn't expect anything to happen. The men's son, Austin Price, then saw the tweet from his former coach and sent his father's name to Petronoster. Austin Price and the Petronoster started messaging each other. Jordan Price stopped by Tuesday. And the Petternosters and the two girls put signs on their door to share what his kindness meant to them. The best part of the whole thing is anyone who has reached out to me said this does not shock them at all. He's just an amazing, kind, selfless man, and we were just blessed by his kindness that day. Petternoster said. The families have talked about getting together and getting to know each other better after social distancing is over. 
he saw a little girl and wanted to make her day special. And we saw an angel of kindness, Pedernoster said. So here, a light plus up. We thank you, Jordan, for really making this day very special for Emma and for your kind heart. It is also a reminder to all of us that we need to appreciate our frontline workers like Jordan for risking their life every day so we can live ours. So thank you for all that you do. Now, like I have previously mentioned recently, we are very fortunate to have one of the most renowned art gallerists of NYC, Katinka Tapakaru, to sit with us for exclusive interview. Katinka started her career in law and worked for various renowned law firms and even United Nations. Since the very beginning, it was always her passion to defend and speak out for the voiceless communities and even father-funded Women's Voice Now, a group dedicated to speak on behalf of women who are in need. However, with her continued dedication to help others and passion for art, she departed from her career of law, which many people envy, and devoted herself to the world of art. Through her hard work, passion, to represent the underprivileged artist, an extraordinary site for talents and art, she quickly moved up the rank in the art world. In 2015, she was featured as one of the most talented art dealers in New York City by Artnet.com. While her ascent may seem fast, but we can only imagine the amount of hard work and efforts that she has invested in order to succeed in such unconventional way. And just as her reputation continued to rise in the art world, like many people out there, she was suddenly struck by the terrifying COVID-19 recently while she traveled to Romania for her family. Although COVID-19 was indeed dangerous and terrifying, but her strong will for life, for happiness, she successfully beaten the virus and recovered fully so we can hear her story and see how happiness has always been our choice. Now, let's take a small break before our main segment with Katinka Tapakaru. All right, welcome to the show, Katinka, how are you? Thank you very much, Kevin, I'm great, you? Nope, not too bad. We're in the epicenter of epicenters, but I'm glad that you see that we are getting better and turning the corner quite a bit. So not, the only thing I can be thankful is all of us are safe, right? We cannot say the same for a lot of people out there, but when we are, we have to be graceful and also at the same time, be able to be thankful that we are still here to bring some message out to other people, right? It's, it's good of you to get the message out, I think. It's important to have other voices among what seems to be just a dualistic system at the time. It's know? very true. And last time we spoke that you are in Romania and you're still in Romania now. So we're live streaming with you in Romania. And that's actually very, very incredible. And we're that, doing a little earlier, so it's still light out, which is nice. Yeah. I think the incredible part is that as bad as COVID-19, you actually bring the world closer than ever. Like back in the old time, I will not assume myself to be interviewing a guest like you in Romania. And first of all, it's a little nervous for me as well, too. But I really want to thank you for the accommodations. I know the time difference and also be able to set up this through emails and also different texts and everything like that. 
I'm glad that we made this happen. We live through emails these days now. <laughs> it is true. So Katinka, definitely, I have given a little introduction to my audience already, but I think they want to hear directly from you. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit for our audience to know who you are. So, who am I? You know, this is not an easy question. It's very hard. <laughs> um, who am I? Currently, I am a New York gallerist. Um, I show contemporary art. I represent a number of artists. And um, I know that the audience isn't particularly uh, of the art world. So what that means is that I work with a number of artists and I act as both gallerist, curator, and agent. So imagine that artists will have exhibitions with me that I will organize and that I also manage their careers. I help them and sometimes organize exhibitions at other galleries. I work with museums on their behalf. I deal with their contracts. Um, I look for opportunities. And then we also do a lot of things together. It's very community-based. So the gallery, but we also have a collective. We run around the world engaging with other communities, both social as well as artistic. So for example, in the last, since 2015, We've worked in Zimbabwe, Nigeria, Finland, Serbia, Canada, and of course, New York. Um, so that's my current identity. And, um, and it's an identity that started about 10 years ago. And it's when I switched from being an attorney, I was focused on human rights. And then I, it took me a transition period as most uh, kind of switches of identities do. And I went through a process of continuing to work in the law, but also emphasizing my human rights and civil rights interests, which then very quickly turned into my cultural and social and artistic interests. And as I followed that rabbit of life, all of a sudden I was a gallerist. Um, and it's been, it's been a really beautiful change because having changed careers sort of this early on in life, I've been able to understand how much more dynamic one is than another, how much more happiness it might bring me than another because other things in my life didn't change that much, right? It didn't come hand in hand with creating a family that came later. Um, it didn't come hand in hand with switching cities or countries that came later. So I was really able to um, almost compare and contrast the emotional effect that it had on me to change industries. And I highly recommend it. I think we should all be changing industries quite, um, a few times in our lives. I was going to say often, but maybe not so often. But you know what? That's definitely a very inspiring background that you have given to all, the, all of us. Because one thing that we always want to make sure is the pursuit of happiness. We literally read that into our constitution to make sure that that is our basic right. But how many people in our country or even in the world have the courage to say that they actually act on that particular right to pursue what made them fulfill, made them happy? By listening to stories like yours, you see the curse that you take. A lot of time you give people like us that particular push to go ahead and really jump onto different industries. Not to mention that a lot of us are being forced to really reconsider what our career aspiration is. Last week that our country had just filed over 30 million unemployment with many more to come. But I will always say every crisis comes with opportunity. Sometimes that particular push or change of environment is what we need. So thank you so much for that background. And one thing I always say is that how I actually get to know you is because that you will actually be highlighted as one of the most talented art dealer in New York City back in 2015 already. And you came from another- Everything you read. 
oh well, I had to verify with the source myself. Like a personal <laughs> friend, I really had to make sure that she does not go ahead and take her article too much. But her story, <laughs> like what you told her and what she recorded, is definitely very inspiring. And I thank her for the opportunity for me to get in contact with you. And of course, like you said, that you jump from different industries and you become one of the most recognizable young stars in our world and through a very unconventional path. So can you let us know, how does your personal experiences from your previous industry or your previous background help you to get to where you are today? Like what, how did it make this unconventional path into reality? Because a lot of people will feel like, oh, well, if I don't go to the conventional path, there's no future. But you defy that. You are the future being named as one of the most recognizable star through a very unconventional path. So maybe others can do it too. So can you share with us what your personal experiences that help you to get to where you are? You know, there's so many things to consider and yet there's only one, right? And um, I've always, and I don't think I had the words to express this when I was younger maybe, but now I realize I've always lived my life from right here, right? And your head is in there and of course you can, being a lawyer, I can plead either side of the case. Either side can logically can come out good. And, um, and so I think that's very important to sort of identify what is the mind, what is the heart, and potentially if you can get even a third deeper, what is that instinct that maybe is something else? Maybe for some people it's spiritual, for some people it's philosophical, for some people it's just their pure gut. Um, and I think that's the place to depart from. If it feels like that is the most exciting thing you can do with your life right now, that's the thing to do. And everything else will readjust. So I think that's, if you're asking me for a magic recipe, that would be it. Um, for me, once I was doing that naturally anyway, it was a lot also about finding what made things congruent because it was very confusing for a while, right? It was very, it was, I was having a hard time justifying running multiple paths I had a friend actually at one point say to me, you know, Katinka, you're so good at so many things. Imagine what would happen if you just did one. And those words really stuck to me. And that was kind of as I was coming out, I was like, okay, well, now I'm doing five things. Let me cut down to three, give myself time. Let me cut down to two or one. And that was, that was helpful. It was helpful to first broaden and then start cutting in according to, don't hit your head against the wall. If something's really not working, it's probably not meant for you. That also doesn't mean don't give up if it's a thing that you really want, but recognize where there are forces that are working in your favor. Because I might decide one day that I really wanna be a doctor, but you know what, I faint at the sight of blood. It's not for me. And so th those things are really important. So one, follow that gut and follow that instinct. Two, really recognize what the universe and what's around you is also supporting. And I think three, also look at what the skills that you have are. When I decided I no longer wanted to be a lawyer, I thought, what else am I good at? And I was a good writer. And I was always good at art, not in making, but in appreciating and understanding and dissecting. And so I just followed those two paths initially. I wrote a book, which will never see the light of day. It's not very good. But I also started participating in the art world. And there I saw that I was good and it was moving. And so it's, um, it's a balancing act for a while, for sure. But change the biggest risk you have with change is that you're just going to live a completely new life right. and that's okay you know a new life is fine 
as long as you can accept that it's fine because i think that comes there too is if you're constantly feeling like a failure because you couldn't like go through with something that's not very helpful life is made of both successes and failures so that positive outlook is is certainly key to everything right and then of course that right now you are being before when you first started you have the advantage of being able to go ahead and push through with different vision and also without the spotlight shine on you so you can do a lot of things to explore a lot of things but that changed a bit now you have the spotlight on you now as being recognized throughout the entire new york art world so what are your current aspiration or your personal goals that you have in your career or personal life right now i'm going to just backtrack you a little bit because i think what you said is incredibly important and the reason that I was able to really develop my own voice, which is what's getting me recognition. If I was like everyone else and successful, I would be part of a herd, right? right. There is a herd that's really quite successful in the art world. I think I'm recognized more because I'm different than that. I'm, I'm a, little, a little bit running on my own path. And, and you're right, I was able to do that because they weren't watching the they of the world. <laughs> and so I was able to be very experimental and I had no rules imposed versus you're right, right now I do have some rules. There are, like any other industry, there is a path forward. There are, um, there's real, there's goals you have to hit. There are networks you have to create and there's circles they have to get accepted into or invited into. And so now I have more of those constraints, right? I must be able to play in the right circles that are considered um, good. It's funny, good is a very important word because it's the art world, right? So the worst thing you can do is really show bad art. And it's not the worst thing financially because bad art sells very well, just like bad movies sell very well. But that's not my intention, right? My intention is really to participate at a level that matters and that is of high quality. So my goal now, honestly, is to, to be able to come out of this fire but to come out in a way that is responsive to it, right? I'm not on pause at the moment. And I think that's the difference between some people right now is I, I, don't, I don't have a gallery and then press pause. And then the moment this passes, I'm going to restart. I'm really at a moment where I want to consider everything I've learned. I want to consider the changes that we're all going through, both industry-wise and culturally and socially and internationally. And I want to recreate and reopen, call it, represent myself in a way that takes all of this into consideration. And I think that's the most important thing to me is how do I come out of this relative, critical, and doing the thing that I'm really passionate about? Because one thing that happens once you've been in an industry for a long time, or you've built your own project for a long time, or your own company, or whatever you're personally doing, is you get to look back. And those things that you started with whether they're artists or certain types of art or certain methods, well, you've learned a lot since and therefore they must be upgraded. And really every however many years, in my case, let's call it five right now, there's an upgrade that's about to happen. And I think there's a lot of people that are arguing that this crisis, this pandemic, this moment in time is also an opportunity for the world to upgrade. How do we, now that we've had time to think and strategize and rest, importantly, how do we come out as a better society? So for me, best, how do I step out better? Because I don't want to just press continue. I want to really uh, not, not, not multiply because it's not correct, but requalify myself. 
And then definitely from our previous conversation, when we do the introduction is that we have learned that you are like a pioneer. You always speak out for people who are in need. You start your charity organization to speak out for women. You take on cases that your law firm doesn't really want you to do because, and now look at it. They don't want you to do <laughs> Very proud moment in my time. <laughs> but at the same time, you start pioneering into different parts. You take on artists that is not traditionally being accepted in the New York society. And now you're in this particular new, I would say post-crisis, we're still in the crisis now. So how are you going to pioneer into a new era for ours, especially that you are one of the young, talented art dealer that people are looking up to now? I would say a lot of people are looking to you as the blueprints to be successful in the New York world who have not changed for so long. So what are your ideology or concept of your vision, what the, your gallery or the artwork will be after this political crisis? I think, um, I think a lot of people are going to be hurt. And so this idea of me being a pioneer, I, I don't think that's true. You know, I think that what we're going to see is that the, the way we'll move forward is really if it's a collective effort, because I think we're going to see a contraction of the market. And I will speak from the point of view of the art industry, because that's what I understand best. Um, for myself, because there's many more experienced and older and, and better galleries than me. But um, at this point, just like you said, restaurants will be accept, uh, expected to function at 25%. And that's not reality, right? So we go back to this change. How do we get out of survival mode and go into thriving mode? I'm not totally sure. But what I know is that I will, again, can you hear this? You can hear those beeps? Yeah, a little bit, yes. Huh. Um, sorry, world, but technology is what it is until I turn it off. Um, I don't totally even remember your question, Kevin. No. So I will, and now I've lost you, I'm so sorry. There you are. Um, how do I step out now and become better? I continue, one thing I will continue to do for sure is I will continue to try to be as authentic as possible to myself and as authentic as possible to the voices of my artists. Because one thing that um, most good gallerists will tell you is we're really a support system, right? The, the forerunners here, the, the, the talent, these are the artists and they're the real voices. And of course, there's times when I play a, a more important role than a support system. There's times when I'm quite involved in artworks, but we really have to protect other artists because they're the ones that are essentially going down in history. They're the ones that are changing how we follow the path of art through history. And, and art has proven itself incredibly important, right? There's there's reasons why when wars break out, the other side will often go after the cultural treasures of a community, of a society, of a country, because they know intrinsically, even if they don't necessarily understand why, they know that the destruction of art somehow creates a real wound and it creates an erasure of history. Mm -hmm. and, and so how do you participate in an art world where everything has happened? Oh. Nobody is reinventing painting. 
and you know. <laughs> but what we have seen is that artists speak to politics and speak to culture and speak to emotion and speak to love. And well, we will always have politics and culture and love and in challenges, especially. And as long as there are challenges in the world, there will be good art. And so I think maybe that's the change in my path a little bit is I have a, a deeper understanding of the type of art that I want to be engaging with as a business. And I really, I've always put forth critical art, um, whether it was political or spiritual or, um, but I think it's more important now than ever for me because all of a sudden the, um, the fluff doesn't matter anymore. And again, you just learn like anything else. I've learned what interests me and I've also learned what, what um, matters in the world a little bit more. And so that's all I can do. I can take everything I know and expand from there. I know that's a very abstract answer, so I'm sorry. But I think, I think we actually get the concept, especially when you talk about challenges, but once you overcome it, that you will definitely see a directions that you have not seen before, a new path. So let's talk about challenges, because to be where you are in such a short time, we're talking about you left the law world back in 2012, right? That's already called, or in that particular era? It, it, was, all, it was all sort of fun <laughs> at all. Yes. Um, I left my, my big firm law job in, at the end of 2009. But then, of course, as we, the fuzzy part starts. And so you, you do this, you do that, you do a little more of this, which is very fun and extremely frightening. Um, but I entered the art world probably 10 years ago. 2010 is when I put up my first merch. Yeah, and think about 2010 was a post-financial crisis, in which the, the, the country is looking at the worst markets. Subprime mortgages collapsed in 2009, 2008 era. So you're taking yourself from a really a financial stable job into a new world that most likely people will say are a people who have uh, money or a hobby or people who has wealth to be able to invest in it. I will assume that there will be a lot of challenges you have to overcome to be in the article in 2015, to be known as one of the best New York art dealers, the young generation. So what are some primary obstacles or challenges that you can clearly recall that defy you today? I think, um, I think I faced the same challenge in the art world as I faced when I was in grade seven, you know, um, and that's inclusion. Hmm. And, um, and that's a big one, right? And it's a big one, I think, from when we're children, it's a big one in school, and it's a big one as you try to define yourself within an industry, because like anything else, to be recognized, you have to rise up. Um, and it's very difficult to rise up from the outskirts and from the outside. Um, I think there's, there's given paths, right? There's a path that someone can take, which um, they go to a very good art school, they come to New York City, they work for one of the big galleries, maybe for a second big galleries, they create connections for many years, then they open a little tiny project space, and then eventually open a gallery. So they have all that prep. I just woke up one day and opened a gallery. And it wasn't quite like that, of course, but it felt like that, right? And um, and so I really started from the very bottom. And that's your blessing and your curse. The biggest challenge is from the very bottom, you really, it's like step by step by step. And I don't have great upward management. I don't have great 
butt kissing skills. I don't do well with any of those. I, I want to do what I want to do. I want to be good to my people. I want to advance how I think is correct, which is why I've never been able to work for anyone for very long. Um, and so in order to do that, I really had to stay strong in my own way, but also allow people in to see. Nice. So I had to kind of, it's a big balance between strength and vulnerability. So that's probably the biggest challenge I faced of how, how do I get people to look so that I can see that I'm good? Um, and it worked, you know, like you, I think one thing I used to say is they can never take away what you've done. Mm -hmm. And the point is that maybe someone else started with a much higher advantage. Maybe they knew everybody. Maybe their first opening had thousands of people. Mine did too, but just because I'm nice. Um, but for me, it was one of those moments of anyone can say anything they want or cannot have been aware of me, but then they look at my track record and that's the proof. And I don't have to tell anyone that I'm good. I don't have to beg for anyone's inclusion. I just have to do what I have to do. But at some point present and say, look what I've done. And so I think it's very important in anything that you do to build that portfolio and to build yourself and to let the proof be in the pudding, right? Because that's the only way, you know, that's, I think there's a lot of people in all sorts of industries that move around a lot and they network a lot and they're constantly at everything. And that's the way that they advance. Um, that wasn't my way. And I don't have a ton of patience or respect for that way personally, because I think your head down and working really hard and coming out at the right moments is just going to have more lasting power. It's true. And from your saying is that I can see there's a lot of moments that you can feel quite demotivated, but it's hard to get attention out there. But normally, to break through that particular barrier, you have to have the utmost confidence and motivations that you can draw from to know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. So how do you normally get your motivation? Where did you draw your motivation from? My artist. Yeah. I was born with natural confidence, which is absurd and really funny sometimes. <laughs> I think I can do anything. Um, which is, of course, a very exaggerated um, sort of personality a little bit, but it did allow me to take some risks that were significant. Motivation, though, it's just the people around you. You know, I, um, I knew they were good. And that, that must have meant that I was good for having selected them. Um, and so when you look around and you're surrounded by these quality people who are also succeeding and also working hard and everybody's on the same team and you watch people uh, give time, give support, self-sacrifice and be together, that's the motivation. This would be so boring if I was by myself. Um, I could make so much more money just selling things, for instance. I can sell anything. Like, I promise you I can sell anything. And I can do many other things. I'm, I'm, um, I've built myself a little resume where I could probably get hired and then probably fired, let's be honest. So maybe that wouldn't work. Um, but the point is that because I've done all of this in community and in collective, which not only makes you feel supported, but then it makes it fun. Nothing's fun if it's lonely. It's true. And I say that from our previous conversation that when you talk about community just now, it seems that it's very important for you to, first of all, voice out for the community. A lot of artists that you had chosen, 
they are not successful at beginning, but through you, they're able to show their vision, which is widely popular after they show them by you. So those are things I want to ask is that, why is it important to you that it's important to voice out for people who are in need, for people who have less privilege, but there are so much talent out there. I think those are two, like two interests of mine. Um, so my artists were successful because they were good. Just nobody knew. <laughs> I, I shone the right, I shone the light on them and I, and I helped shine that light and they helped shine the light on me because again, why, why do people think I'm good? Because they're good, right? Um, and again, this is the, the beauty again of this, this team factor, this collaborative factor. And, and so that, that idea of uh, identifying an artist, of finding an artist, creating a relationship with an artist who is really good but unknown has a beautiful sense of discovery, right? Because it's not validated yet. So it has discovery in it and it has risk because you don't really know if the world will respond. You assume it will, but you don't know. So there's excitement there. It's not that exciting to um, show an artist who's already been validated by everyone. And that's not true because sometimes it's exciting because they're so good. And then that excitement comes just from being able to be around and engage with a brilliant personality and a brilliant work. And that's fun as well, working with really important artists. I've, I've really enjoyed and I've gone to do um, and get to do more and more these days. So that's one thing, like the excitement and the discovery. And that's why you want the unknown. But then the, let's call it the downtrodden or the, the little guy, that's always just been inside of me. And I remember actually, to some extent, that's how I got into college. You know, my, my essay in college was about returning to Romania after having been gone for six years since I left with my family when I was nine and being picked up in some fancy protocol limousine at the airport and driving out and this beautiful old woman was begging on the street and she was proper and dressed and, and that disparity felt so wrong to me, especially because the country had just come out of communism. We, we were supposed to be free. We were supposed to be democratic. We were supposed to have just come out of oppression and yet here I am watching someone that should be living comfortably on a pension, having to beg. And, and that's my, I don't know if my first memory, but it's a prominent memory and one that I, I cited at the time and, and it's felt that way ever since. I'm not particularly interested in being, in knowing I will win. I wanna fight not knowing and I wanna fight from a place where the result will really make a difference. And that's actually when I, when I was working for the UN, so I worked for the Genocide Tribunal in, Rwanda, in Tanzania, that was for Rwanda, the International Criminal Court for Rwanda. And of course I thought I would have to work for the prosecutor. These were genocide offenders. It seemed so natural. And then I went to Arusha and I started working and I realized that working for the prosecution was terrible because all I had to do was present the status quo. The prosecution has a story they want to tell and my job was to find the proof and travel to Rwanda and find all the witnesses that would support that story. But I found plenty of witnesses that didn't support that story. And so the reason I actually never took on a permanent position with the court was because I realized that I really needed to be on the defense. Not because I wanted to defend war criminals, but because I wanted to get to truth. And the only way to get to truth is if you're actually on the side that is asking questions. And I don't know, I, I want there to be need for me in the world. And 
somebody who is disadvantaged or somebody who I can help has more need for me than somebody who's helping me. So I hope that answers it, but I think. No, the answer is perfect because I can say that a lot of your artists and also the community that you decide to put your gallery in really feel the impact of having you as a voice, as a community leaders. And of course, that is one of the things that make you so special and conventional, right? Now, one thing that I always say is everybody has the moment that they are always feel the happiest at work. What is yours? Oh God, I feel happy all the time. That's a good thing. <laughs> You know, I have this one artist, Rachel Monosov, and, and there, this synergy that happens when we talk. And when we talk about ideas and create something new, I think those are my moments. Because all of a sudden, I have this, this person who's a real peer, and I think there's a real importance in having peers, right? And they're hard to find those peers because it's hard to find the person that's at your level as an equal, working as hard with the same kind of goals and the same path. And it's often enough that it happens that we get into a conversation and we continue each other and make each other better and then hit on this new thing that then becomes some huge project or something quite successful or something that nourishes us. And so I think that that clicking moment that I've, I've had with other wonderful artists as well, and I, they're all my babies. Um, but I don't know if she'll be happy I said that. Uh, but it's amazing to have an equal. And being able to work with an equal and get further is what really makes me feel like I can get better because I get challenged, right? right. Someone that tells you, no, you're wrong. There's not that many people that tell me that I'm wrong. And that's not anything that I think happens once you get into a position of leadership right. is a lot of people defer to you. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then you don't know if you're wrong. So my husband's really good about this as well. He's very unimpressed with our world. And I'll say something and I'll get excited. And he'll be like, oh, come on. And point something out that makes me realize, oh, not, it wasn't that smart. And so it's good, right? Because all of a sudden, the moment that something is challenged, you can get better. Um, so I think that's, those are the moments, the moments of growth and creativity. And I think that's fantastic too, because they always say that if you have someone that's equal, at the same time, bring another perspective and you respect that perspective. That's how two form together into a beautiful and new way of mm -hmm. thinking, right? They always say that you have two streams, one from the fall and one from the river, and eventually they will all end up in the oceans. That's when all the ideas sink into oh, together. So I think that was a fantastic way that you're saying it. I think for anyone who's looking forward to challenge on their career, first ask, do they have that particular desire to either try to persuade another party that's equal or trying to go and collaborate with new ideas? Mm -hmm. I can totally feel why that will make you very happy. And now, first of all, I'll have to say something is, is that I have not even mentioned at the beginning of our interview. Like, you look fantastic. I love how you put energy. Everything is great. Well, with previous conversation, you're also a person that have recovered from COVID-19, mm -hmm. have been through this particular crisis yourself, emotionally and physically as well too. Many of my listeners has actually voiced out, especially with the recent episode that we have on the frontline heroes, that they know someone that either being impacted or they are someone being impacted. And then it's hard for you to see the light when we're out in the mist. 
I'm in the epicenter of epicenter in the world right now in New York City, which every day I, I turn on the TV is new negative thing. But every time when we're able to find people who recover, people who bring positivity back, people to show us that it is gonna be okay after these things are done, you really bring a lot of courage to us. So I wanna ask you a few questions if you don't mind about that particular experiences. So what are some emotional and physical challenges resulted from this coronavirus during that time? So the physicals are, so my case was fairly mild, right? I did have symptoms, it did hit me, um, but it wasn't life-threatening. So that's the first thing to start with. And I think it's a very different conversation with somebody who has a life-threatening experience. So for me, it was extreme nausea and exhaustion. And then the other ones were slight fever and a loss of taste, general sense of irritation. So physically, is COVID didn't get me physically, let's call it. I've been just as sick with something else before, you know, the one year that I got the flu. Or, so, but what happened for me with COVID emotionally is that I got to see the, the belly of a country. And, and, and I think that happens. I wasn't in New York where I think it's a different story and you, you're really going to get those stories of not potentially having access to care. Here, I was actually forced into care. So Romania was very adamant from the beginning about um, keeping its numbers down and, and protecting its population. And because Romania essentially has a communist past. And what I'm trying to say is essentially still acts like it's a communist country, even though it's a democracy. They rounded up everyone who tested positive. I had just come back to New York. I got symptoms six days later. My husband is a dentist. We thought it'd be responsible for me to get tested if he's going to continue to see patients. I got tested, I tested positive. I got a phone call the next day. The day after that, there was a SWAT team at my house who picked me up and took me to the hospital and I had no choice. It was either that or facing criminal charges. So I went to the hospital for 11 days and that was my personal journey with COVID is I had to deal with my freedom being taken away. I had to eventually, after about four days, accept that my freedom had been taken away, accept my circumstances and grow through them. And I went through a process and I went through a process of acceptance and then forgiveness and then even minor enjoyment on one point of the sort of uh, having been able to look at the beast face to face because I was inside the hospital, right? I was talking to the doctors. I was seeing everything that was happening. I was seeing a few other patients. And that transparency was something that took me through an emotional journey. So it was painful at first, but when I came out, I felt, I felt superhuman. I was actually sending my friends because I was very loved while I was in the hospital. So I was very grateful for all the sort of support I had. But by the last few days, I was sending superhero emojis because I was like, this is how I feel. All of a sudden, not only have I won and beaten it, but I've seen it, right? I wasn't just hiding in my house and I wasn't just um, sort of existing as my own little sick experience. I was in the thick of it. And... Um, that's created now for me a different relationship with the sickness than I would have had had I not reported my case and had I just stayed in bed and gone over it, which I would have. It would have been a much easier, actually, physical 
recovery because I had to take very strong meds that were experimental in the hospital. Plus I was in the hospital, so I couldn't move, right? I've, I'd never spent that much time in the hospital before, but you're essentially in your bed because there's nowhere to go. And you're feeling sick from the meds and the atmosphere is kind of weird. And so I was denied exercise. I was denied um, everything I wanted to eat at all times. So COVID for me was a, essentially by the end empowering experience. And since that you have mentioned that you have seen this, you know, you feel powerful, you feel you have beat this particular COVID. Now it give you a new perception to our life. How does this change your perception to what you want to do now? A lot of people have told me, especially people who have been trapped at home saying, when I get out there, I'll do this and this and this. Mm -hmm. You are out there now, like you have actually walked out the tunnel. Yeah. What are your perceptions to the future? What do you want to do now? I don't think it's changed my perception to the future. What it has done is I think um, it's canceled out that anxiety that a lot of people who haven't gone through it are, are um, feeling because I just don't have to deal with those emotions. And therefore my experience about leaving the house is different because there's no fear. And I think it's subtle, but I don't have fear. I don't have anxiety. Oh my God, what happens if I get the virus? And so my experience here that will inform my exit is different. When I get out there, can I say that COVID has taught me something about the world? No. I think what COVID has done was reminded me once again that I love what I do. And I love those who I support. And I can tolerate my annoying mother who has to call me every single day because I love her so much. And so it just, um, I think I'm a, a bit of a different case just because I had started a transition before COVID. Like I said, imagine I had my gallery space for over five years on the Lower East Side. I left it in the fall and was looking for a new space. I opened up a temporary space right October, not October, sorry, February 28th. And that was just a, a one-time thing. And so I had already started this transition of movement. And so COVID became part of that transition. And it's become what it's given me essentially is an extreme version of what I was looking for. Because I was looking for a retreat. I was looking for a time that was quieter, with less obligation, where I could grow and strategize my life. And on a personal level, actually also build a more personal life and have a baby. And so I was looking to do all those things and then COVID came and forced that rest. And I, and I, this is the second time I brought up the word rest. And I think one of the main things that I would suggest, but I think a lot of people are doing it anyway, but some aren't, is just to rest. And I don't mean just sleep, because I think we're definitely all doing that. <laughs> but to rest in a sense of allowing your mind to wander, allowing yourself to get off that path that you're typically on every day. And, and I understand that for owners of small businesses, for instance, it's incredibly hard because there's so much pressure right now. How am I going to pay my rent? How am I going to keep my staff or get back my staff if I let them go? And how am I ever going to bring my clients back? And I feel every day for my friends and colleagues who are going through that because it is 
crushing. But at the same time, if you're resting, that's the way that you will be able to come up with a strategy. And again, change is okay. And we will, we're fortunate. A lot of people who are watching this are really quite fortunate. And we live in New York City and we, if we've survived in New York City until now, we can probably adjust to a change. And there are so many people around the world who have much less and much less fortune. And maybe that's, it's a time to look at that. It's a time to look at that, not only to appreciate our own circumstances, but to help. Because I think the experts have told us these pandemics, this is not the first and it won't be the last. And the stronger that we are on a health and community level around the world, the easier and more equipped we will be to get over them. But as long as we keep post-colonialist countries down, as long as we keep controlling governments that really should be free to do their own thing, as long as the right wing keeps coming in and destroying everything for everyone in, you know, in favor of the 1%, as long as that happens, we're actually going to be weaker than we should be. We have the power to be much stronger. And I think these are the times to be looking at that and to be looking at that macro, you know, to try to get out of our own survival mode and a little bit more into empathy mode. And then of course, uh, I think a lot of people are definitely looking forward to have some kind of encouragement. Also, I would say cheers from people who have actually recovered from it. So what are your personal message to anyone that is currently affected or knows someone that's being impacted from this particular COVID. Life goes on and it's very long. And um, my heart goes out to those that are being really being put into a lot of difficulty health-wise. We, I don't even want to get into the economics of it, but health-wise, I mean, God forbid. But for those who aren't and who are getting through it, like life goes on. And, and there will be other periods and there will be other times and things are fine and, and there is help out there um, and it's okay to ask for it and we should all be giving it. So I think that that's somebody who's already inside of it. For those who aren't, you've, everyone's heard all of the um, advice that's been given out. So I don't know how much I could add to that besides it doesn't help to worry. It doesn't help to live your life in this constant worry because the stress is already there. The problems are already there. If you're going to add your own worry and anxieties on top of it, um, I think maybe that that's the thing to work on. And if that's happening, then there's methods, right? There's meditation, there's films, there's a new hobby, there's a puzzle, anything that keeps you calm so that your body can stay calm inside of it. And that's so you, so you can be calm for others around you too, because one thing that I've been thinking about a lot, and maybe this is that one thing you're looking for, but I've been thinking a lot about the fact that our actions in this time are not our own. <laughs> Everything that we do affects everybody else. And this disease, this pandemic, this virus, has actually shown us that. It doesn't matter that I've had COVID. If I go out there and I'm irresponsible and I contract it again and then go around my grandparents, I hurt them potentially. And so I'm no longer just me. I cannot be only my own keeper. 
I'm very responsible for everyone I come into contact with. And if you take us out of COVID and you take us into potential demise of our economies, and then you take us into global warming, these things, this um, part of being of this, uh, being part of this collective becomes more and more true at all of these levels. And there's just, there's just nothing that belongs to only us. Well, I think that's a perfect reminder, especially when you're saying that we're no longer just actually accounted for ourselves, but we're supposed to go ahead and making sure we consider that our action will hurt everyone that we really care about. And we have heard cases of people bringing it back. Oh, I am young. I am invulnerable. Everything is good. But your parents or your grandparents at home who are being trapped in the house with you might not feel the same thing. So that's a very, very good reminder. And definitely we love it how you have remind all of us that is always there. We just have to make sure that we continue to honor life goes on with that. So I want to take this conversation to someone who's more lighting hearted. So currently... Please. What is the next big project or project that's coming up that you want all of the listeners to know about or how at least you get to know you a little bit more? Um, there's a few things. One is the current project, which is online now, and it deals with a lot of what we talked about. Right. So it deals a lot with this idea that this virus was very far away. It was all the way in China. It was never going to come here. It was, it was, it didn't belong to us. And the moment that it came, we've turned the whole world upside down. Mm -hmm. And so the exhibition, which is a film exhibition, because what else is the most relevant online? And I don't like showing anything online, um, is asking, what if we always lived as if the far away was here? So that's an important, that was a very important project. And it's curated by myself and Rachel Monosoff, who we spoke about. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's very dear to my heart because it's really what, it was the first reaction to this. And we're working on the second, which has a lot more to do with this time, this rest, this isolation, this technology that we're talking across. Mm -hmm. So that's the near term. The long term, I think we're moving to Berlin. I think wow. Berlin is the next, next place. Well, so that is definitely exciting. And now since uh, we have the Zoom technology, maybe next time I will be interviewing you directly at Berlin, right? <laughs> There was this moment that, um, that happened while I was in the hospital. I was very upset for the first time about being in Romania. And I said, I don't want to live in a country where I don't trust the government and doesn't trust me. Mm -hmm. And my husband, Jamil, said, well, I don't want to live in a country where there's no good health system. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, we created this, this double-pronged requirement for where we would move, which is what we've been considering, whether we'd come back to New York or move. And so we automatically cut off Romania and America. <laughs> that's true and then two days ago and i haven't told him but he's watching me now so i'm telling him now i came up with a third prong that i will premiere on your show oh that would be fantastic that is, i want to live well mm -hmm. and what i mean by that is i want to feel the space around me i want to see nature around me i want to live at a level where i can be happy and i don't feel anxious for space anxious repression and so i that's how we cut off paris because that's also extremely small apartments and, and expensive so all of a sudden berlin became the front runner and i don't know we're i'm learning german i can say stuff <laughs> i 
I can definitely see that there'll be a new era. And then of course that you will be creating a brand new splash of revolutions like how you did in New York. And I will only hope that you will give me access at that time to interview you on your journey in Berlin. And with that being said, one last thing, what is one message you want to give all the listeners out there? Life is long, be happy. Just, it's always going to be hard. Perfect. So happiness is a choice. And then right here, thank you very much for joining us on Life Plus Up. We wish you very well and we're so happy for your recovery and we wish you the very best in your new future trips in Berlin. And now with that being said, Kevin, thank you for what you're doing. It's really, it's, I watched, it's powerful, it's encouraging, and I think it helps a lot of people. So thank you. It's all my pleasure. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next time, Katinka. Good luck with everything. All right. Well, day. I hope everyone enjoying the interview and be as inspired as I have. Now I will wish all of you and your family the very best. And we see you all next week on Light Plus Up Podcast. As we're wrapping up this episode, I want to thank and remind all the listeners that in the description, you'll be able to find the overview of our contents, the links to positive news and resources, and most importantly, the show notes that I publish on Medium. Our music are being brought by Scott Holmes from scottholmesmusic.com. And if you have a question for my guests or for myself, please email me at podcastlifeplusup at gmail.com or find me on Instagram or simply by clicking on the voice link in the description. If you find this podcast informative and helpful, please follow and subscribe through your favorite podcast platform and share with someone that you really think this can help. If you want to support, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or simply by clicking on the donation button. Now, we'll see you all next Wednesday. Until then, remember, success without fun never lasts. And fun without success is not really too much fun. So let's have a fun and a successful podcast together.